Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And when the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried away, tell, him where me, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In the life of a Christian, today's a pretty important day, right? No. Today's a very important day, right? Today is the most important day in the life of a Christian. How important is it? Without the resurrection, Christianity is a sham. It's meaningless. It's completely unimportant. It makes no difference. All our struggles will end in darkness and in death, and that will be the end of us. What happened on Friday when they crucified Jesus would just be the tragic end to an otherwise good story. A man came from Galilee. He spoke eloquently. He told truths about the kingdom of God and what God was like, what the Father was like. He helped us to understand that we should love our neighbor and treat each other with kindness. And he showed that love to others. He welcomed in the outcast. He forgave people who had sinned. He healed people who were sick. 
He had mercy on those who were oppressed. He showed love and kindness to everyone. He was a good man. But without the resurrection, the life of that good man ended on the cross. It ended in tragedy. It ended in death. And all we would be able to say is that that's the world we live in. There is so much darkness and so much anger and so much sin in the world that we take something good and we squash it. We take a life that is valuable, that teaches us so much, and we just stamp out all the good and all the love and all the light that is in it. We kill it. That's the world we live in. But no, it's not the world we live in. We live in a world where there is a resurrected Jesus. We live in a world where there is darkness, there is suffering, there is pain, there is death, but then there is also light, there is restoration, there is reconciliation. The suffering ceases, the sin is swallowed up in victory. And that's what makes Christianity important. And not just a little important. It makes it the most important thing. To quote C.S. Lewis, he said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So often we treat it as if it is moderately important. We think of Christianity as sort of this guideline that we, we go by failing to recognize how important it is. And the reason it is so important is because of Resurrection Sunday. It is because of the victory over sin and death that Jesus Christ claimed. Now, there are many skeptics in the world who say, you know, I can take what's in the Bible, I can take what's in Scripture and, and use a lot of it as a guideline. There's a lot of good things to glean from it and apply to my life. But I don't know if I can accept this resurrection stuff. There are many skeptics who just don't, they, they don't buy into to it. and they, they say there's no evidence for it. I want to tell you about a man named Lee Strobel. He was an atheist. He was a lawyer. So he could make a good argument. And his wife became a Christian. And he couldn't stand it. And he decided he was going to devote his life to making the argument against Christ. And he researched, he, he, he looked at all the ancient documents, he looked at all the ancient artifacts, he went to the Holy Land, and he, he gathered all his evidence and all the research because he wanted to make a case against the resurrection. And in doing so... He stepped back and said, wait a minute. I can't find any evidence that this didn't happen. In fact, all I can find is evidence that something miraculous did happen. You see, if the tomb was empty, something must have happened. And if the body was stolen, it could have only been stolen by one of two groups of people. It could have been stolen by the religious authorities. But that wouldn't have made any sense. Because if they had done that, all they would have done was given an argument to this growing group of Christ followers that Christ was something more than just a human. So they wouldn't have done that. The disciples could have stolen the body, but then it wouldn't have made sense that 
Every one of them suffered and died a death of martyrdom for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of their faith. We live in an age where people are uh, executed for their faith still after all these years. And, and, you, and you see on the news and you hear these stories and you even see images of, of ISIS taking the lives of Christians who refuse to renounce their faith. And as I see those images or as I hear the story, I shudder to think about what it must be like in those last moments, knowing these are your final breaths, that you're dying for what you believe in. But time and time again, they go to their death for their faith. And these are not eyewitnesses. The disciples suffered the same fate. Peter, Andrew, James. And you would think that if they had stolen the body, if this was all a conspiracy or a cover-up, somebody at some point could have, no, they would have cracked. Somebody facing a brutal, gruesome death would have said, okay, wait, 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 I give, this is where the body of Jesus is, I'll tell you. No, they all went courageously to their death because they knew what was true. They knew what was real. That is only some of the the evidence that exists for the resurrection. There's a whole lot more if you ever care to research it. But the point is, we know something miraculous happened that day. We know that Christ resurrected from the dead. And it's up to us to determine what that means for us. I have a teacher who, who said um, at, at school this past week, he kind of chastised all the, the student pastors. He said, most of you are going to go into your sanctuaries this week and you're going to say, he is riven, risen, and you won't even know what that means. But I beg to differ. I think we do know what it means. We just often neglect to reflect on it, to make it a reality for us. What it means is that stones are rolled away. It means that vision is repaired. And it means that the darkness we so often choose to dwell in is chased away by light. When Jesus saw Mary, he made a few statements to her. The first thing he said was, Why are you weeping? What do you mean, why am I weeping? I, I, I would love to know what Mary's, what went through her head as she said that. This person that I loved, that, that I followed, somebody that just a few days ago I was anointing his feet with my tears. They crucified him right in front of me. I saw him die. And then they put him in this tomb. And now he's gone. I don't even know where his body is. Part of the grieving process was I was going to bring these these perfumes, these spices to, to him. And I can't even do that. I can't even get closure. What do you mean, why am I weeping? I am suffering. I am hurt. I'm experiencing grief and loss. That's why I'm weeping. I'm in pain. I'm in agony. And then Jesus said, who are you looking for? I love that question. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? You see, so often we go through life looking at the darkness, looking at our problem, looking at our suffering, and we have tunnel vision. We're really good at focusing in on what that problem is, what that thing is that is grieving us. 
what that thing is that, that is turning our world upside down. We have these blinders on. Finally, Jesus says, Mary. She hears her name and she recognizes it's Jesus. And he is there with her in the midst of it. Jesus calls us by name. And as he does, those blinders fall off and we see the big picture. We no longer have to focus in on our struggles, on our pain, on our suffering. Because the resurrected Jesus Christ is with us in the midst of it. Guiding us, leading us, teaching us, ready to roll away the stones. Ready to speak love and encouragement into our heart. Encouragement can be a wonderful thing, especially when you're going through something tough. Uh, some of you know that I'm, I'm a, a runner. I like to, to run. In fact, that's how a lot of my uh, sermons get written. I, I get to running, and I sort of get this rhythm going. I'm listening to music, and I zone out, and it's just, just the rhythm of, of the, the practice of running and, and the rhythm of my thoughts. It's, it's very uh, good, and, and so a lot of sermons get written during that time. But Nike has this app, this run app that you listen to on headphones. And it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to tell you, good job, keep going, whatever. And every so often as I'm there in the moment, praying, thinking thoughts, some of them holy, some of them maybe not, I don't know. But as I'm doing that, all of a sudden I'll get interrupted with this, uh, this voice. That's supposed to encourage me, and it, and it really irritates me usually. Uh, do you all know who the comedian is? Uh, Kevin Hart. He's a, he's a comedian. He's a really funny guy, but very loud, very brash, sort of in the vein of, of Eddie Murphy, uh, Chris Rock, and people like that. And that's the voice they use on this app. So I'll be running, and in the middle of, you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden I'll hear, Good job! I say, like, oh, that wasn't pleasant. Or, or, they, or they have this thing where you've got, uh, you can put in your goal how, how far you want to run. Say you want to run six miles, and you're running around in this heat, and it's hot, and you're suffering, and, and, and I'm just ready to plow through. And then all of a sudden, I'll hear through my speakers, you're halfway there. That's not encouraging. I want to quit. There are forms of encouragement that are designed to help us, to push us along through our struggle, and they just don't quite cut it because they don't know our circumstance. They don't know our heart. They don't know what we are going through. But the resurrected Jesus Christ knows. He knows our heart. He knows our struggles. He knows our suffering and our pain because He suffered. He struggled. He felt pain. And He is present with us as we do the same. And when he told Mary that he was there with her, when he called her name, it was an invitation to recognize that I am here with you. I am in the garden with you, here even in the midst of your grief. And in this moment, because of my presence, your grief can be turned to joy. The resurrection means that light shone in the darkness. I love that the resurrection occurred first thing in the morning. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it says the sky went black. Darkness fell on the earth in that moment. But when he came back to life, it was at daybreak. 
Just as the sun was, 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 was peeking through the clouds, just as it was peeking over the horizon, that's when the Son of God rose. And God gives us all kinds of signals and signs throughout creation, throughout nature, that this is what He does. He brings light to chase away darkness. He brings spring to chase away the cold of winter. He brings life to chase away death. That's just what he does. Now God created the earth and he called it good. He said everything that he made was good. But then somewhere along the way it became stained. It became marred, contaminated by sin. God could have just left it like that. Said, okay, on to my next project. But if he had done that, God would have been a failure. If God had just left us to die and there was no resurrection, there was no hope, there was no new life, God would be a failure. But God is not a failure. And so God devised a plan to restore, to reconcile, and to bring light in to chase away the darkness. In Aramaic, the word for son, S-O-N, is ben. I'm sorry, it's bar. In Hebrew, it's ben. In Latin, it's phileus. In Greek, it's huios. But in English, it is son. And so we have this wonderful advantage of sort of playing with that word. The sun rises. The S-O-N, sun, rises. Just as the sun, the S-U-N, rises And in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking about the sonship of God and what certain passages mean when it talks about the Son of God or the Son of Man or what it means to have the Son. It's a wonderful play on words, but it's especially relevant for us at Easter. Because the sun rises to chase away the night. And I often wonder what the first humans might have thought as they saw the sun set. Were they worried? Did they think the sun wouldn't come up again? The sun always comes up. The sun always rises. If you've ever seen the movie Annie, you know that song. The sun will come out tomorrow. We can rest assured that the sun will rise. And we can rest assured that as we live in a world of sin and suffering and death, that the Son of God will rise to fix that. God created the world, but because of sin... That creation was compromised. And if sin and darkness and death were to remain forever, if creation were to be compromised, God would be a failure. But God didn't create this world just to become a failure. He didn't create this world for it to fall into darkness and never be restored. Just as He didn't create that first day to end with one single sunset. The sun rises. Darkness is chased away. Winter gives way to spring. All of these things are God's way of showing us that it is in His nature to restore. He is in the stone-removing business. He is in the sun-rising business, the S-O-N and the S-U-N. God will not let His creation become a failure. And he doesn't want to see me or you become a failure either. That's why he asked us, why are you weeping? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And if we listen closely, we will hear him call our name. 
There is hope in the midst of our struggles. There is joy in the midst of our grief. There is always relief in the midst of our pain. And it's all because there is a resurrected Christ in the midst of our darkness. Let us pray. Lord, you are not just a light for us. You are the eternal light. The rising up of your son was not just a past event etched into the tablets of history. It is an eternal event, just as meaningful and relevant for us today as it was for anyone who has ever come before us. Lord, let this reality be what moves our boulders our stones, let it be the light that chases away the darkness that we are prone to focus on and dwell in. Let our hearts be softened, let them be ready to listen, so that we may hear when the risen Son of God lovingly speaks our name. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning... It's hymn number 241 from your Cokesbury hymnal. That's the, the brown hymnal. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to, to come forward. Feel free to share that decision with us. As always, the altar is open for anyone who might want to come up here and, and spend some time in prayer. But please stand, if you are able, and join us in singing He Lives, number 241 in the Cokesbury hymnal.